Our study today is going to be called the testing process. The testing process. And I'm going to deal with two places particularly. Uh, the first one is in volume one of the testimonies. And it's the chapter of the Laodicean Church. And I, uh, I want to read to you the, the process that the Lord is putting us through. I'm starting on page 186 of volume one of the testimonies. I was shown that the testimony to the Laodiceans applies to God's people at the present time. And the reason it has not accomplished a greater work is because of the hardness of their hearts. But God has given the message time to do its work. The heart must be purified from sins which have so long shut out Jesus. This fearful message will do its work. Now we studied last week, our last class, what subject? Any of you remember? We studied the, 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 the ten virgins, the wise and the foolish virgins. And what was the real problem with the foolish virgins? Uh, well, there were several, but what was, the, what, what was it that brought all this thing out? Yes? What? Yes, that's right. All right, what were you going to say? That reveals a character, right? What were you going to say? They didn't know there was anything wrong with them, did they? Yeah. That's the tragedy of it. But somewhere along they missed it, you understand? And God is not going to let anyone be deceived if they want to be honest with themselves, but we have to seek God. But the, que the thing, these are all right, but the thing that I was, was particularly thinking about in my own, uh, in the question I asked, there was a time of delay. You know, uh, at a certain time we all do real well, but when time goes on, what happens? We are inclined to be careless. Now, uh, This young lady back here was telling us about uh, asking God in the morning. Why is it it's important to ask Him in the morning? That's on our minds and we're thinking about it, but during the day, what happens? There are all these other things come in, you know, and, and there are other things we get involved in. Well, isn't it wonderful to know that He'll take care of it if we ask Him and commit our lives to Him? Now, this, is the, this was the thing about the, the uh, foolish virgins. There was a delay. And they got tired of waiting and got involved in something else. Did you ever read the statement in Great Controversy that we must have a faith that will stand in spite of weariness? Delay and hunger. And when you put them all together, you have a real combination. That's right. We're going to have to have a faith that will not fail in weariness, delay, and hunger. And that's a real combination. But the problem with the, with the foolish virgins, now all that you said was true, but it was the delay that brought it out. 
There probably was a time when they were very much alike, but continuing on and on. Now this tells why the Lord lets that delay take place. It said, God has given the message time to do its work. The heart must be purified from sins which have so long shut out Jesus. This fearful message will do its work. When it was first presented, it led to close examination of hearts. Sins were confessed, and the people of God were stirred everywhere. Nearly all believed that this message would end in the loud cry of the third angel. But as they failed to see the powerful work accomplished in a short time, many lost the effect of the message. I saw that this message would not accomplish its work in a few short months. It is designed to arouse the people of God to discover to them their black backslidings and to lead to zealous repentance that they may be favored with the presence of Jesus and be fitted for the loud cry of the third angel. As the message affected the heart, it led to deep humility, humility before God. Angels were sent in every direction to prepare unbelieving hearts for the truth. The cause of God began to rise and the, his people were acquainted with their position. If the counsel of the true witness had been fully heeded, God would have wrought for his people in greater power. Yet the efforts made since the message has been given have been blessed of God, and many souls have been brought from error and darkness to rejoice in the truth. God will prove his people. Jesus bears patiently with them and does not spew them out of his mouth in a moment, said the angel. God is weighing his people. If the message had been as of short duration, as many of us supposed, there would have been no time for them to develop character. And what was the time continued for? For the development of character. Character development takes time. And the foolish virgins did not use the time to develop their character. They became sidetracked. And what should have been a blessing to them became a very dangerous situation. Many move from feeling, not from principle and faith. From what? Feeling. Are we affected any by our feelings? Oh, Should we be? Feelings have nothing to do with our relation to the Lord. Now the Lord will give us peace and a joyful feeling, but we don't serve him because we feel like it. I, there was a fellow working with some boys one time, and, and uh, they were out hoeing the garden, and uh, I was very interested. He was trying to get them to work, and after a while, one little boy says, well, I just don't want to work. I don't feel like it. And he said, I know. He says, that's the difference between a boy and a man. Boys do things because they feel like it. Men do it because it has to be done. And there are a lot of boys that have never grown up. And a lot of girls that have never grown up. We do it. Why? Because we feel like it. There's only one reason for doing anything. That's because it's right. Because God says to do it. Love and loyalty to Christ is the spring of all true devotion. All right. Let's see what else it says. It wrought upon their feelings and excited their fears, but God did not accomplish. But it did not accomplish the work which God designs it designed that it should. God reads the heart, lest His people should be deceived in regard to themselves. 
He gives them time for the excitement to wear off and then proves them to see if they will obey the counsel of the true witness. The great decisions of life are not made in meetings. Now, we make decisions in meetings, but that's not when the real decisions are made. The real decisions of life are made in a garden somewhere, in the quietness of our own hearts. And those are the decisions that stick. Because many times the others are, even though it isn't an emotional situation, we make decisions. And many times we make mass decisions. You know what I'm talking about? And, but it's the decision we make in our personal relation to the Lord. That's what really counts. So God gives time for what? For all outside influences, the excitement to wear off. And then sees. Now here's the, here's the, a paragraph that I want you to listen to very closely. God leads his people on step by step. How? He brings them up to different points calculated to manifest what is in the heart. Now, what's he trying to, what's he trying to get us to know? What's in our hearts. We, we don't know our hearts. None of us do. Peter didn't know his heart. He very sincerely and honestly said, everybody would, everybody may, what? Forsake you. Everybody may deny you, but I'll never do it. And a few hours later, what did he do? Now, he was sincere, but what was the problem? He didn't know his heart. So what is the Lord trying to do? In all of this, what's he trying to do? He's trying to get us to see our hearts. Not somebody else to see it, but we see our hearts. Because we don't really know. You know, we say, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do such a thing. I've been driving a car and I'd see somebody do something real foolish, you know, and I'm in, I just want to, if I don't, I want to yell at them and pretty soon I find myself doing the same thing. Have you ever had an experience like that? You drive up to an intersection and you don't see anybody coming so you pull off to the left side and somebody comes along and wants to turn in and you're on the wrong side. And somebody else does it, you get real upset about it, you know. See, we, we just... We unconsciously do all these things. I mean, uh, and so the Lord is trying to teach us what? What's in our hearts. He brings them up to different points, calculate to manifest what is in the heart. Some endure at one point, but fall off at the next. At every advanced point, the heart is tested and tried a little closer. If the pre professed people of God find their hearts opposed to this straight work. Now, what in the world is it that brings this straight work? How, how do I, how, how does the Lord test us? What does He use? Trials. He uses circumstances and people involved in the circumstances. It's people we have problems with. Very seldom just circumstances by themselves. There's something in us that just rebels against certain people. Is that right or isn't it? It just, it just doesn't, we just, we just didn't know we had those feelings. All right, it says, Said the angel, God will bring his work closer and closer to test and prove every one of his people. Some are willing to receive one point, but when God brings them to another testing point, they shrink from it and stand back because they find it strikes directly at some cherished idol. Now we're studying Jeremiah, and they had all kinds of idols. They made idols of wood and stone and, and all kinds of things. They put up <coughs> idols in their groves. Well, if you'd talk to those people... 
they would have told you that they didn't really worship those idols. They were just representations of a God that was living. This is what any idol worshiper will tell you. They don't they really don't believe in that, that that God has power. But that's a representation. And uh, can we have idols that represent something in our hearts very easily? Yes. They prize something higher than the truth and their hearts are not prepared to receive Jesus. Individuals are tested and proved a length of time to see if they will sacrifice their he <coughs> idols and heed the counsel of the true witness. They're, they're what? They're tested <coughs> and proved for a length of time to see if they will sacrifice their idols and heed the counsel of the true witness. If any will not be purified through obeying the truth and overcome their selfishness, their pride, and evil passions, the angels of God have the charge. They are joined to their idols. Let them alone. They're what? And they pass on to their work, leaving these with their sinful traits unsubdued to the control of evil angels. You see, uh, God doesn't leave us. He never leaves us. But there comes a time when something has happened in my heart through continued <coughs> failure to obey that I'm no longer capable of responding. Did you ever read the statement that sin destroys both the desire and the capacity to know God? So to play with sin is deadly. Whatever form it is, yeah. What's that? Uh, it's it's uh, in two or three places. Let's see if I can find it. If you'd like to have the, the reference, I think I can find uh, it here. It's in Education, page 29. It's also in... It's also in... Uh, Prophets and Kings, page 233. So that's enough... It says, And while Christ opens heaven to man, the life which he imparts opens the heart of man to heaven. Sin not only shuts us away from God, but destroys in the human soul both the desire and the capacity for knowing him. You see, sin is a, sin's a terrible thing, isn't it? And when we... You see, sin does not affect us until we know it's sin. And then it's just like a high-voltage line. When the insulation comes off, you better leave it alone. Because it electrocutes you. And that's what a sin is, that we know it's a sin. It becomes a corrosive element in our lives. And we have to either overcome it or what happens? It destroys us. All right, now, <clears throat> that's a pretty tragic statement. That the time comes in this testing process. And is this time coming... Soon to all of us, really, is it? Are we getting close to the time when people are going to make their final decision? No question about it. And so we're going to have to deal with sin in our lives, not in other people's lives. 
We're going to have to deal with it in our own lives. And is the Lord going to make it plain to us? Does, does, he get, does He have power to give us victory over this sin? No question. So it's a matter of our submitting. Now, uh, those who... You see, when we have an idol, the Lord brings us around over and over and over again to this test. And it says, finally the time comes when He says what? They're joined to their idols. There's no more, there's no more He can do. God Himself has done everything He can do. And he says, leave them alone. And they, they pass on to their work, leaving them to what? To the control of evil angels. This is a pretty tragic situation, I'll tell you that right now. I mean, there is no worse. Now, here's the other side. Those who come up to every point and stand every test and overcome, be the price what it may, have heeded the counsel of the true witness. And they will receive the latter rain and thus be prepared for translation. Now, the, 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 the latter rain is the preparation for translation. And the preparation for the latter rain is what? It's the former rain which is falling now, the former rain. God proves His people in this world. This is the fitting up place to appear in His presence. Here in this world, in these last days, persons will show what power affects their hearts and controls their actions. If it is the power of divine truth, it will lead to good works. It will elevate the receiver and make him noble-hearted and jealous, like his divine, generous like his divine Lord. But if evil angels control the heart, it will be seen in various ways. The, pri the fruit will be selfishness, covetousness, pride, and evil passions. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Professors of religion are not willing to closely examine to see whether they are in the faith, and it is a fearful fact that many are leaning on a false hope. Some lean upon an old experience which they had years ago, but when brought down to this heart-searching time when all should have a daily experience, they have nothing to relate. Young and old, God is now testing you. <clears throat> you are deciding your own eternal destiny, your pride, your love to follow the fashions of the world, your vain and empty conversations, your selfishness. All are put in the scale, and the weight of evil is fearfully against you. So you see, God is, t is testing us on all these different things. Now, there's another chapter, and I hope you'll all read this chapter. It's about ten pages, and it's in volume four, page 83, and it's one of the, it's one of the most interesting chapters. It's a, it's a personal testimony, and it's called The Testing Process. And I've read it many, many times, and I'll tell you there's some very, very interesting things in it. It's, it's written to a brother G., but now you know the Lord has written these, and it could be that... It should have Brother M on it, I don't know. Or Brother and Sister so-and-so. And this man was taken from the farm to Battle Creek and became a leader in God's cause. Uh, just to show what it says, it, uh, this is the, toward the end of the, of the chapter. I just read this to show you the background of it. It says, Dear Brother, God in His providence brought you from your farm 
to bear the test and trials which you could not have where you were. So what was God doing? He was taking him from a quiet situation to a situation where he would have trials and tests that he wouldn't have there. And God leads us on how? Step by step. And somebody, <clears throat> somebody says, well, why in the world did I ever come here? I never had so many trials in my life. Well, thank the Lord, because you're finding out what? What's in your heart. I remember I had some friends. Uh, they're still my friends. and They were going to go to a certain place. I, I was there, and they were coming where I was. This was an institution, and <clears throat> they didn't come. And so uh, finally I, they got in touch with me and said, Well, we're going to a, another place. And I said, Well, that's all right. I have no burden about it. You go wherever you want to go. Are you sure the Lord is leading you there? And they said, Oh, no question about it. I said, well, if you're sure, then, then that's all right. Because you're going to get whatever you need wherever the Lord leads you. He, he knows exactly what we need. And so I went by to see them about a couple months, three months later. And they were really down. They were just having a hard time. And I said, well, what's the problem? They said, well, we should never have come here. Well, I said, but you said the Lord was leading you. Well, they said, we've decided the devil was leading us here. And I said, you better get your signal straightened out. In the first place, I would never admit that the devil could ever lead me anywhere. If we want to serve God, I don't believe the Lord. Uh, if, if we do, then the Lord has some lessons for us to learn. And I said, well, what makes you think the Lord is leading here? Well, they said, we never had so many problems in our, in our lives. Well, I said, praise the Lord. Well, they couldn't say anything to praise the Lord about. Most people are looking for a place where... They can get along the easiest possible. Isn't that right, really? Aren't we, looking for, aren't we always looking for a situation where everything smooths out and we don't have difficulties? Well, if we are, we're not ready for heaven. The Lord brings us into circumstances. Now, this says he, let, he brought this man from the farm to bear the tests and trials which you could not have where you were. He has given you some testimonies of reproof which you professedly accepted, but, you are, but your spirit was continually chafed under the rebuke. Now, he admitted that it was all right, but he still didn't accept it. You are like those who walk no more with Jesus after he brought close practical truths to bear upon them. You have not taken hold in faith to correct the defects marked out in your character. You have not humbled your proud spirit before God. You have, stood, you have stood at warfare against the Spirit of God as revealed in reproof. Your carnal, unsubdued heart is not subject to control. Now, what do all these things make you realize? Well, you know, I, uh, we, I, think, I know we should all read the testimonies through. We should start right at the beginning. Uh, I'll tell you, the testimonies are for, for the church are something we all re need to read. Of course, we need to read our Bibles. We need to read, but we need to read the testimonies because these special testimonies will make us know as we're reading them that God is particular about things in individuals' lives. And if God was, was interested enough in an individual to give a prophet a vision, to give them instruction about something in their lives, then he's pretty interested in our individual cases, isn't he? And they were put in the testimonies <coughs> excuse me, 
because it says that some of these were written for other people. And the Lord may have been looking at me just as much as he did Brother G when he, when he wrote that testimony. And he put it in there just for me. All right, now that's the background. Now I want you to notice what it says in here. Uh, I'm reading on page 84 now. Our Heavenly Father sees the hearts of men and he knows their characters better than they themselves know them. He sees that some have susceptibilities and powers which directed in the right channel might be used to his glory to aid in the advancement of his work. He puts these persons on trial. On what? And in his wise providences brings them into different positions and under a variety of circumstances, testing them that they may reveal what is in their hearts and the weak points in their character which have been concealed from their own knowledge. Now, who does all this? Who does it? God does it. Look, folks, it would change our attitude toward life if we would recognize God's directions in the everyday affairs of life. But we just don't admit that. We think somebody's involved in that. Somebody's doing something to us. Well, they are. But remember that God does not let anything touch us without what? Without His permission. And He goes through the trial with us. If we're suffering, He's suffering with us. You see, it's a lack of understanding of God's testing, training process that keeps us from getting the character development we need. Do you understand that? It's because we dodge these things and we, and we say, well, if it weren't for that, I wouldn't do this. Well, if it weren't for that, but if it were something else just like it, we would. Yeah. <coughs> what? Didn't I read that to us? Well, I, I can read it in several places. I'll read one right here in page 489 <clears throat> of Ministry of Healing. The Father's presence encircled Christ. And nothing touched him but that which infinite love permitted for the blessing of the world. Then who did it go through? If, the, if God's presence encircled Christ, then everything that touched him went through who? Through the Father. You think that God didn't suffer when Christ was suffering? Do you think that a father seeing his son on the cross would suffer any less than the son did? All right. Here was his source of comfort. And it is, for it is for us. He who is imbued with the Spirit of Christ abides in Christ. Whatever comes to him comes from the Savior who surrounds him with his presence. Nothing can touch him except by our Lord's permission. All our sufferings and sorrows, all our temptations and trials, all our sadness and griefs, all our persecutions and privations, in short, all things work together for our good. And not only are we suffering, but he is putting up with us and suffering with us just to give us another opportunity. But remember, it's deadly not to learn the lesson because sin 
destroys our capacity to know God. And after a while, we come to the place where we're, not, we're no longer susceptible to it. You know, there, it says the same, the same law abides in the, is in the spiritual world as in the physical world. He who lives in darkness long enough will lose the power of sight. In Mammoth Cave, up here in Kentucky, there are fish that have lived down in that darkness so long that they no longer have eyes. They're, they have little embryo uh, optic nerves in their, in their heads, but their eyes are no longer developed. They don't even have eyes because they haven't used them for so long. All right, well, let's go on and see what this says. It says... To men whom God designs shall fill responsible positions, he in mercy reveals their hidden defects that they may look within and examine critically the complicated emotions and exercises of their own hearts. He wants us to know what? The complicated emotions of our He wants us to understand what's going on in our hearts. And detect that which is wrong, thus they may modify their dispositions and refine their manners. The Lord in his providence brings men where he can test their moral powers and reveal their motives of action that they may improve what is right in themselves and put away that which is wrong. God would have his servants become acquainted with the moral machinery of their own hearts. With the what? You know, it's so easy for us to just close our eyes and say, well, that doesn't amount to anything. God wants us to become acquainted with the what? The moral machinery of our hearts. Why do I do certain things under certain circumstances? And this is what, when I come to that realization, then I'm going to begin to realize that I can't do anything about it. Have you all realized that you can't do anything about it? But thank God He can give me His righteousness right now. And He can look upon me as I've never sinned if I accept it. And then he can give me his life that will enable me to live. He will live in me the life that will be in harmony with his will, in harmony with his word. In order to bring this about, he often permits the fire of affliction to sail them that they may become purified. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. This is Malachi. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer into the, unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. You know, the gold that people find today is all mixed with all kinds of alloy, rocks, all kinds of base metals. And what is the only thing that you can do to get the... The pure metal, you heat it. And the gold will separate from the dross. And the dross will come to the top because the gold is heavier. And you can skim off. And this is what it means. He sits as a purifier of the sons of Levi that they may offer an offering of righteousness. Now, I've never purified gold, but I've purified lead. 
and works the same way. Uh, we used to, uh, in doing plumbing, we used to get old plumbing systems and, and we'd break the lead out and it's dirty, nasty stuff and, and it doesn't look very much, it doesn't look like anything. But you put that in the pot and put a fire under it and all this stuff begin and you just take and skim it off and skim it off and skim it off and after a while you can see your reflection in it. And this is what he's doing. He's looking to let the fire get hot enough to separate the dross until he can see what? She can see his reflection. And that's what the purifying process is. The purification of the people of God cannot be accomplished without their suffering. Now that's just a plain statement of facts. The purification cannot be accomplished without what? Without suffering. Because we are integrated with sin. You know what I mean? We're just... It's, it's a part of us. God permits the fires of affliction to consume the dross, to separate the worthless from the valuable, that the pure metal may shine forth. He passes us from one fire to another. From what? Testing our true worth. If we cannot bear these trials, what will we do in the time of trouble? If prosperity or adversity discover falseness, pride, or selfishness in our hearts, what shall we do when God tries every man's work as by fire and lays bare the secrets of all hearts? True grace is willing to be tried. If we are loath to be searched by the Lord, our condition is serious indeed. Then what? Yes. Well, how does he get the law in there? Where is the law? Well, it's in, it's, in, it's in heaven. But who is the law? Jesus is the law. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when he comes in, what does he bring with him? He brings the law with him. And then when we have him, we have the law. We can't have the law without him. And so that's how he gets it. When he comes into our hearts, why the law comes with him. God is the refiner and purifier of souls. In the heat of the furnace, the dross is separated from forever from the true silver and gold of the Christian character. Jesus watches the test. He knows what is needed to purify the precious metal, that, that it may reflect the radiance of his divine love. God brings his people near him by close testing trials, by showing them their own weaknesses and inability, and by teaching them to lean upon him as their only help and safeguard. Do you know what the greatest problem we have? When we have difficulties and we have trials and we have things happen to us, we're always going to get somebody to sympathize with us. It's a very interesting statement in Christ's Object Lessons. Page 146. One four, yeah. What? I say, well, instead of, instead of finding what's wrong and letting the Lord do something, we, go, we don't turn it to, over to Him and recognize He's doing We go find somebody to sympathize with us. Isn't that right or isn't it? Well, now notice what this says. 146. 
Christ Object Lessons. When perplexities arise and difficulties confront you, look not for help to humanity. Trust all with God. The practice of telling our difficulties to others only makes us weak and brings no strength to them. The what? We spend hours telling our troubles to people, don't we now, really? It lays upon them the burden of our spiritual infirmities which they cannot relieve. We seek strength of erring finite man when we, have, when we might have the strength of the unerring infinite God. You need not go to the ends of the earth for wisdom, for God is near. It is not the capabilities you now possess or ever will have that will give you success. It is that which the Lord can do for you. Is what? We need to have far less confidence in what man can do and far more confidence in what God can do for every believing soul. He longs to have you reach after him by faith. He longs to have you expect great things for him. He longs to give you understanding in temporal as well as spiritual matters. In what? In temporal as well as spiritual matters. He can sharpen the intellect. He can what? He can give tact and skill. Do you have a problem saying the wrong thing at the right time? (laughs) Well, he can give us tact and skill. No saying, you know, every time you open your mouth, you what? (laughs) You put your foot in it. Yeah, well, there's more truth in poetry than that says we should ask God for tact and skill. says Jesus never gave pain to a sensitive soul. You know, what, what, you know this, this is one of the verses in the Bible that really fascinates me. I think I can turn to it. Isaiah 65, the last chapter. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw like the bullock, and dust shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountains, saith the Lord. They shall what? Not hurt or destroy. If we ever would hurt anybody, we'll never make it. Because nobody's going to get hurt up there. That's why the Lord doesn't take us up, up there now, you know. We'd hurt people all the time and they wouldn't say anything. There are saints and angels up there. <laughs> but you see down here, we're, we're all saints. I heard a little definition for saints, you know. What a saint is? A saint is somebody still trying. God brings His people near Him by close, testing trials... By showing them their own weakness and inability and by teaching them to lean upon Him as their only help and safeguard. You see, if, if I have difficulties and trials and the Lord has brought me where I can learn some lessons and I go get somebody 
to sympathize with me and then I begin to feel sorry for myself. I'm just setting it up for worst. Because I haven't learned my lesson yet. You know, we're, we're just really brutes for punishment. You understand what I mean? Yeah. What's that? We're saying, yes, it's hot and it hurts, but I still want all this dross. Because he's the one that has to take it away. And he can't take it away until we've learned our lesson over it. You know, I've said this many times, and I... Uh, it's kind of a, a silly statement, I suppose, but uh, I hope the Lord brings me in contact with every person that I can't get along with before probation closes. What is God going to do with sin? What's going to happen to sin? Do you know what happens to sin when God's glory and His presence is revealed? It burns. And now he's meeting it out to us a little at a time to burn it out. But if we won't let it be burned out, what happens? When his glory is manifested in his power, you see, the destruction of the wicked is not an arbitrary act of God. I'm sure you all understand that. God's presence destroys sin. And in the final analysis, the final judgment, the execution of the judgment... Christ and the angels step out between the Father and sinners. And His glory just floods the earth. And it burns this earth right down to where there's no sin. It's It's a liquid lake of fire. And it's the presence of God that destroys sinners. And the saints are right there close. And they're in rapture because there's nothing to burn. And the presence of God that gives the, the greatest joy that can ever come to any being is what destroys the wicked. The very same thing. Because we have permitted through the Holy Spirit, this is the work of uh, the Holy Spirit, meets it out to us just as we can take it. He's promised not to give, it, give us any more than what? Than we can bear. And if, if we say, we, we just say, well, Lord, you promised it. You, you aren't going to give me any more than I can take. Yeah. There's a statement that's very, very... It's really a startling statement. I think I can find it. This is the last comment on Ecclesiastes. It's 11.66, Volume 3, the commentary. The death of Christ was to be the convincing, everlasting argument that the law of God is as unchangeable as His throne. The agonies of the Garden of Gethsemane, the insult, the mockery, and abuse heaped upon God's dear Son, the horrors and ignominy of the crucifixion, furnish sufficient and thrilling demonstration that God's justice, when it punishes, does the work thoroughly. Christ had to go through that because He was our substitute and, and His sins were actually, our sins were actually upon Him. 
The fact that his own son, the surety for man, was not spared is an argument that will stand all eternity before saint and sinner, before the universe of God, to testify that he will not excuse the transgressor of his law. Every offense against God's law, however minute, is set down in the reckoning, and when the sword of justice is taken in hand, it will do the work for impenitent transgressors that was done to the divine sufferer. Justice will strike before God's hatred of sin is intense and overwhelming. Why does God hate sin? Because of what it does to people. You see, sin is a horrible thing because this is what makes all the discord, all the difficulty, all the friction, all the trouble, all the death, everything in this world is out of order because of sin. Is it any wonder God hates it? Because He hates it because of what it does to people. And when it does to people, he suffers with it. Wouldn't we hate sin? And this is what's going to happen. Do you think that when we realize what sin has cost God and what it is costing us and what it's cost everybody, that we won't hate sin? This is our problem. We don't hate sin. We play with it. Well, let me finish this. God brings His people near Him by close-testing trials, by showing them their own weakness and inability, and by teaching them to lean upon Him as their only help and safeguard. Then His object is accomplished. They are prepared to be used in every emergency to fill important positions of trust and to accomplish the grand purposes for which their powers were given them. God takes men upon trial. He proves them on the right hand and on the left, and thus they are educated, trained, and disciplined. Jesus, our Redeemer... Man's representative and head endured this testing process. He suffered more than we can be called upon to suffer. He bore our affirmities and was in all points tempted as we are. He did not suffer thus on his own account, but because of our sins. And now, relying upon the merits of our overcomer, we can become victors in his name. God's work of refining and purifying must go on until his servants are so humbled, so dead to self, that when called into active service, their eye will be single to his glory. He will then accept their efforts. They will not move rashly from impulse. They will not rush on and imperil the Lord's cause, being slaves to temptations and passions, and following their own carnal mind set on fire by, hate, by Satan. Oh, how fearfully is a cause marred by man's perverse will and unsubdued temper. You see, the devil gets us to do things, and then he says, Look, these are the people that you created to take my place. Did you know this is what he says? These are the people you created to take my place. And what does God say? He's on the spot. But thank God there are going to be some, play, some people that are, going to, that are going to uphold the honor of God. What's that? I would just, this is another, that whole chapter, the testing process in volume 4. Well, one more statement. I was pointed to the providence of God among His people and was shown that every trial made by the, by the refining, purifying process upon professed Christians proved some to be dross. The fine gold does not always appear. In every religious crisis, some fall under temptation. The shaking of God blows away multitudes like dry leaves. 
Prosperity multiplies a mass of professors. Adversity purges them out of the church. As a class, their spirits are not steadfast with God. They go out from us because they are not of us. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, many are offended. You see, this is a process that God is going to find out whether we're really in earnest or not. You see, God is taking a chance. The people from this earth are going to become partakers of the divine nature. They're going to be given, can have conferred upon them the gift of immortality. Do you know what immortality means? It means you can't die. And if God were not real particular in the, in the tri- testing process and getting us ready so there was no question about it, he would have on his hands, what? Some immortal sinners. And so God is real particular. Now, I don't want what we say to make it sound hard that God is doing this perversely. You understand? He's doing it because He has to do it. His throne is at stake. And He's willing to suffer with us in order that the purifying process may take place. Yeah. That statement that you read before it says that the purification of all, you know, our purification cannot take place without our suffering. Is that the same section same thing. I read, all I read is the testing process. There's one more statement here. Uh, you're all, I'm sure, familiar with this statement. This is in the book Education, and I think it's 151. All, Education 151, all who in this world render true service to God or man receive a preparatory training in the school of sorrow. The weightier the trust and the higher the service, the closer to the test and the more severe the discipline. So the, the, greater the, the, the greater work the Lord has for us to do, the what? The greater the test is going to be. And so we should recognize then that whatever comes to us is what? Is an honor that God has given us because He has such a tremendous work for us to do. Yeah. Well, the testing process is volume 4, starting uh, with page... Uh, What did I say? 83. And the one in uh, volume 1 was on 186 and 187 called, and that was the Laodicean message, and it tells about God leads his people on step by step. That's also about the testing process. Now remember our next lesson. I hope you'll all read this. Start in with the, the section in Ministry of Healing, True Education and Missionary Training. I'm convinced the only thing that will ever cause us to be successful in the battle of life is that we become concerned with other people and helping them. As long as we're just thinking about ourselves. We get bogged down in our own problems. But when we begin to do things for other people, we find people have so many more problems than we do. And we begin to help them, then our problems don't seem so great. All right. We'd like to lead us in prayer today. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.